Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I was just thinking, y'all are always so so generous to give a little uh, a little clap of encouragement. It was, I'm used to working with the college students, and if if this same scenario were to happen with that video in love, they would all go boo. <laughs> so I appreciate the the encouragement. It means a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are y'all excited about studying God's word today? And me too. I'm excited. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. Turn to Acts chapter six, the book of Acts chapter six, and man. Uh, Really incredible, powerful, heavy story, but man, very uh, life-changing, I believe. Acts chapter six. As you're turning there, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us and ask God to move. Lord, thank you for how you've already been working through the worship. Thank you for Eric and him leading this morning. And thank you for, uh, for David and the folks in the venue, God. And just, um, Lord, that you're working in a lot of different places. And even people as they may be watching um, online or TV, <clears throat> God, that you're there in all these places and your spirit is, is real. And God, we look forward to your word and how it's going to speak to us this morning. <clears throat> if you would just take a moment uh, just to pray and ask that God would speak to you, that uh, you'd be attentive to his word and what he has for you this morning and how he wants to change you. God, we're grateful for this opportunity and I pray that you would just give me a clear speech and clear thought and just a boldness as we look at your word. So your name we pray, amen. Have you noticed that some things in life, they're easier to do if a lot of people are doing it? You know what I mean? Uh, I guess it's called following the crowd. We don't normally encourage that. It makes me think one of my, the college students will laugh because I referenced this show probably too much, but one of my favorite shows is called The Office. I'm not encouraging you to watch it. I'm just being honest. It's one of my shows. And uh, there's a, an episode where they've been at this church gathering and Michael, who is the boss, but kind of this, the goof of the show, uh, the youth group is fixing to get on the bus and go to somewhere in Mexico and to build some orphanages or an orphanage, a school actually it is. And he gets so excited. He's, Michael is like the definition of impulsive. That's just, he sees something, he's all excited. So he gets excited, even though he is twice the student's age and has a full-time job, he decides he's gonna go on this mission tri- trip too. All the, the whole church is there cheering everybody on. Well, he gets on the bus and they don't get five minutes out of town and he's realized that this is going to be a little more difficult than he realized. For one, he, does, he didn't bring anything. He didn't pack at all. And then he's, he says on the bus, he says, you know, I thought there were a lot more people coming on this trip. There were at least 300 people back at the church. Like what's going on? But when he realizes it's a smaller group, he quickly loses some of his excitement. One, because again, it's hard to stand alone. And two, because when you realize something is going to be difficult, it can lose its excitement and its ease sometimes. And this can be true with things that we do. Maybe for you, it's cooking. We have any people that like to cook in the room? I like to, I like to grill, maybe. I wouldn't say I like to cook. I like to grill. And sometimes you notice the cookbook or maybe even like now like Traeger has an app for your grill, which is really cool. And they'll show you the difficulty of the different um, recipes. And often if I see a recipe that is a five rating, meaning out of 
uh, five stars, it's the highest difficulty there is. If I've never cooked it or grilled it, I'm a little more hesitant because one, it's gonna be difficult. And two, I don't know what the outcome is gonna be, right? Like if I'm not sure what the payoff is gonna be, I'm a little more hesitant to do that. Some of my friends like to get up really early and go to the gym. I like getting up early, but to me, it should be illegal to go to the gym at 5 a.m. You know what I mean? Like that's just too early. And uh, partly I know it's good to exercise and those things, but I'm just, one, it's gonna be difficult. I'm not sure many people are gonna be there. And then beyond that, is there really a payoff to going that early in the morning? Amen. Um, maybe, maybe for some of you, it's uh, a degree program. You're all excited about this degree and uh, getting this, you know, one day getting this diploma in this particular field. But then as you go further in the coursework, all of a sudden it begins to thin out the class because it gets difficult, right? And then again, I think you have that question in your heart and mind of, is this going to be worth it? Like, what's the payoff if I stick with this difficult thing? I think sometimes we wonder that with our faith. I know it can be easy to come in to worship and you're all excited and you're into it. And like this morning they did a great job. Remember singing, we're into it and we can kind of rally together. But then we leave and when you're by yourself, it can be a little more difficult to live out your faith. Amen? It can be a little more difficult to be, to be passionate. Not only because you're alone, but sometimes I think you wonder, okay, if I live for Christ, if I'm bold in my faith, what is the outcome gonna be? Like if I face hardship, Christ told us we would face hardship as we follow him. If I face hardship, well, is there gonna be a benefit to that? Is there going to be a point to that? If there was someone that would be able to speak to this from scripture, it's, it's a man named Stephen. He definitely knew a thing or two about hardship and following Christ. And so we're gonna, we're gonna jump into his story in chapter six. And uh, these first few verses are kind of introduction to Stephen, but I think it's still worth reading. Chapter six, verse one of Acts. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor. I'll be honest, I'm not really sure I'm saying all these names right, but in honor of the Lion King recently coming out again, we're gonna say this next guy's name as Timon, um, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, here's our guy, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Man, we're gonna pause for a moment. And God is using Stephen. It's very clear from the scripture. He's using Stephen in some amazing ways. Don't you, don't you love it when you sense that going on in your life? Now, I'm not saying I've ever, I don't think anyone has ever said about me, God is doing great wonders and signs through Brandon. Like not had that experience, but don't you love it when you just can sense God is using you? 
when you just feel a nearness to him and you sense him working through you. So maybe some examples of that would be, uh, maybe you invite someone to church and, and they come with you, they're interested. And you're like, man, maybe God's doing something here. Or maybe you, you sense the Spirit's leading to go and share the gospel with a friend or a coworker and they receive Jesus. I remember my wife told me one time in, in college, she uh, felt led to share the gospel with this person, shared and they were really, like they wanted to accept Jesus, but she was so used to people saying no that when they said they were ready to accept Christ, she kind of like, she didn't know what to do. She was like, really? <laughs> um, but man, those are great moments when all of a sudden, man, God is doing something here. God is working. Maybe it's um, you pray for someone and they come back to you a week later and they're like, hey, your, your prayer, man, God, listen, he really worked. It was, it was awesome. My life is different because, because you prayed with me. Those are great moments. But have you noticed that often when it seems like God is, is doing something, Satan rears his ugly head? <laughs> Now, we don't, wanna, we don't wanna have a fatalistic mindset. We're not a demon behind every bush kind of church, but there's a spiritual element to what we do, for sure. <laughs> and the more you live your faith out for Jesus, the more opposition you're going to experience. That's what happened with Stephen. Verse nine, it says, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from, excuse me, from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So they're, they're arguing with Stephen, presumably, about who Jesus is. Or, and to these people's case, they're arguing about who they believed he, he was. And Jesus, is, or excuse me, Stephen is saying, no, who Jesus is. <laughs> they're talking about Jesus as the Messiah. So they're having this dispute, this argument. Again, the reality is the more you talk about Jesus, the more you're bold in your faith, the more that you have a can't stop, won't stop attitude like we've been talking about in this series, the more you're gonna face opposition. People don't like to be told that they need a savior <laughs> besides themselves. <laughs> and so I think, again, the question, maybe you've not verbalized it, but we've all felt it. If I'm gonna face hardship as I follow Christ, especially if it kind of singles down to where I'm kind of the only one in my little realm, is it worth it? Like, what's the point? What's the payoff? What's the benefit? What happens when I'm willing to suffer for Christ, when I'm willing to live for Jesus, even in front of people who, who don't like Jesus? <laughs> you know, I, I love verse 10. It says, so they're, they're having these arguments. It says, Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So I love this. He's, he's facing this opposition and the Holy Spirit is showing up. He's working in Stephen's life so much so that I love the way the scripture says that they, they, they can't withstand him. Maybe uh, to put it in our terms, they can't go toe to toe with Stephen, right? They're having this, this verbal skirmish and they can't hang, like they can't match up because the spirit is empowering Stephen and giving Stephen, giving Stephen wisdom to speak the truth about Jesus. It's funny, Jesus said that would happen, didn't he? <laughs> that if we'll boldly speak for him, even in those times we're not sure what to say, if we'll not worry about it and open our mouths, he'll give us what to say. However, bad guys don't give up so easily. When, when the bad guys are losing or have the potential to lose, what do they do? What do they, do? they cheat. 
It's like deflate gate back with the Patriots, right? Like <laughs> when, when they're <laughs> still bitter, still bitter. <laughs> no offense if you're a Patriots fan. Maybe a little offense, just not a whole lot. Yeah, they cheat. That's what happened in verse 11. Talking about these, these Jews who Stephen's arguing with. It says, verse 11, they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. They are intent on shutting Stephen up, right? To the point that they're, they're lying. They're, they're making things up. They're bringing false charges. So he's trying to preach the gospel of who Jesus is, that he's not against the Israelites. He's really the fulfillment of what God was doing in the Israelites. But they're twisting and turning what he said because they want him to shut they want to shut him up because they don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear that Jesus is the savior of the world. The reality is this is still a thing around the world. <laughs> around the globe, Christians are regularly lied about and accused of things they did not do just so they will shut their mouths. Uh, one of my buddies that I've... Uh, work with in India. He lives in India. He lives right on the border of Pakistan and Kashmir, a uh, beautiful place, but also one of the most dangerous places in the world. And um, regardless, he is head over heels in love with Jesus. <laughs> and I guess you would have to be to live there. Um, but he, one time before, I think I mentioned this before, before a conference we were doing there in India, he, he spent significant time in prison because some Muslims there had accused him of something that was just not true. He, they were accusing him of forcing people, forcing Hindus to convert to Christianity, which was, if you know my friends, just not true. <laughs> he was just preaching the gospel. So he spent time in prison because of their lies. Just, not just in India, it happens all over the world. Now here in the States, we may not like, face, I mean, it could get this way for sure. Maybe he is headed this way, but at the current time, we may not face jail for sharing our faith, but you could be lied about. <laughs> you could be maligned, could lose your job, could be made fun of. It's going to be hard. The more you live out your faith, the more you have a can't stop, won't stop attitude, the more difficulty you're going to face. So again, it's going to get hard. The question like, what's the point? What's the payoff? What's the result? Is it just to like have a terrible life and that's the end? Like what's... What's the result? I think it maybe ups the, the difficulty when you're firm in your resolve. Look at Stephen in verse 15. It says, he's sitting in this council, chapter six, verse 15. It says, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. It's like Pastor David always reminds us, not like, oh, cute, a little angel. Like, no. Stephen's there. They may not have realized the Holy Spirit was on him, but Holy Spirit is on him to give him a peace, a calm, and a steadfastness in this storm, in this opposition. So he's sitting there. They're all gazing at him. And the high priest asked him, hey, 
Are these things true? All these accusations are coming at you. What do you have to say? Are you going to defend yourself? I love what, what Stephen does. He, or did. He didn't defend himself. He began to tell the story of God's people. And I'm going to kind of walk us through this story. We're not going to read the entire chapter. It's a lot, but we're going to, I'm going to walk you through it. So the first thing he does in telling God's story, and again, I think we like, see this moment. I think as we begin to read this, it can, you, it's easy to get lost. They're asking him to defend what he's been doing and preaching the gospel. He's just going to walk them through the story of what God has done with their people, the Israelites. He begins with Abraham, we see in verses 1 through 8. He says that God called Abraham to a land that he had not gone to before. And that God promised to give Abraham, even though he had no kids at the time, he promised him that a nation, offspring, would come from him. Verse 8, we'll read that together. It says, And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. So God started this work through Abraham, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he's, he's going to switch and focus on Joseph, verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, remember that phrase, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. So the patriarchs, supposed to be God's leaders, rejected Joseph, who was God's man, to help bring nourishment to the world at that time. If you know the story, that's what he goes on to say. You remember from Exodus, excuse me, Genesis, that Joseph was raised up to really second command in Egypt and God used Joseph to provide food to the entire known world at that time. It was amazing. And then you read starting in verse 17 that they increased and grew, but then a new Pharaoh came to town in Egypt and he forgot about Joseph and began to force the Israelites into slavery. Verse 20 says, at this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. So Stephen says, he's again, he's telling them this story of, of the history of what God has done in his people. So started with Abraham, then Joseph, even though the patriarchs were jealous of what God was doing with him. And then God raised up Moses to do a work through Moses. Verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, Moses, to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So he's telling them, again, God raised up Moses, but even his own brothers and sisters at that time didn't realize that God was doing something through Moses. Moses, we know, went to Midian for then 40 years past and God appeared to him. I'm in verses 30 through 34 now. God appeared to him in a burning bush and spoke to him. And pick up with me in verse 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their groaning and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. So who was the one who was actually gonna do the work to deliver the Israelites from Egypt? It was God. 
But who was this man he was going to use? Moses. That's right. You guys, man, you guys are doing great. You're staying with me. Verse 35. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Verse 36 says, this man led them out performing wonders and signs so that you have the plagues and then crossing the Red Sea. And now jump to verse 39. But our fathers refused to obey him. They thrust him aside and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. So over and over again, you see this theme of God is doing a work, but the one who God sent to, the, the one, the person that God sent to deliver his people, they kept rejecting. And when they reject the deliverer, who are they rejecting? Ultimately God. And then if you almost kind of through this, his awesome speech, jump into verse 44 through 50, he, he talks about Joseph and King David and then Solomon. You know, King David wanted to build a house for God, but it was Solomon. Verse 47, Solomon built a house for him. Yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, now he, he quotes Isaiah 66. He says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So it wasn't wrong for Solomon to build a temple. But the problem is the Israelites often tried to confine God to that temple. Can you confine God to a building? No, you can't. So see Stephen's speech is saying you've rejected all of the people God has sent to lead. You, you've, and so they really rejected God. You've tried to confine God. And then in verse 51, Stephen erupts in passion. He says, you stiff-necked people. Great way to make some friends. <laughs> you stiff-necked Necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He's saying, you don't know God. You have all this spirituality and religion, but you don't actually know God. Man, verse 51, where he says, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. That would have been so offensive to them. You remember earlier in Stephen's speech, said that he reminded them that God had made the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, supposed to be the people of God. And it was supposed to represent them being cut off, set apart from the world to have a relationship with God. And Stephen is saying, it's the exact opposite with you. Instead of being cut off to have a relationship with God, you're cut off from God to have a relationship with the world. You killed Jesus who God sent to save the world. That didn't go over real well. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And as they were stoning Stephen, he, sorry, I just read that. Uh, He cried out, receive my spirit in verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. And this is what Jesus did very similarly. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Fell asleep is a New Testament way of describing a believer's death. But I know, I know we're familiar with this story, but I don't think we want to rush past that. Stephen died. You could say prematurely, certainly brutally, was murdered. I don't know about you, but like, even though I've read that story several times, as I read it, I keep waiting, based on what we know what's happened previously in Acts, as I read it, I keep waiting for God to intervene, right? For God, to, for Jesus to come down and be like, hold up, that's my boy, Stop. Or, or remember the angel that led out Peter and John from the prison? I, I keep waiting for the angel to show up and just bring the smack down on these people who are opposing Jesus. But it didn't happen. No, no rescue. He, he was killed. As of 2018... According to the annual study by the Open Doors organization, 255 Christians are killed, 104 are abducted, 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage, 66 churches are attacked, 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned around the world every month. Persecution is a real thing. And you know, a lot of times today, it's the same as it was with Stephen. That is that a little bit of persecution just breeds more persecution. Chapter eight says, Saul approved of his execution and there arose on that day a great persecution, great as in big, very large, terrible persecution against the church in Jerusalem. <clears throat> And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It's kind of hard for us, but can't, can you see it? Think about my kiddos and uh, man, like they're super long, young, so they wouldn't know what was going on. But I can't imagine sitting around the dinner table and someone busting down the door and dragging my wife and I from our kids. That, that's what happened that day. 
And it happens all around the world today. People are killed. Families are broken up. Again, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what, what does God do with that? Is there, is there a payoff? Is there a benefit? Or is it just tragic? Like, what, what does he do with it? What's the end result? <laughs> as terrible as this story is, I'm here to tell you today that it was not ultimately tragic. <laughs> the answer, we have to read a little further. <laughs> Keep asking, what was the payoff? What did God do? Like, what's the point of it? Don't let the paragraph break. You know, hope you know, hopefully we know those aren't inspired, the paragraph breaks. Don't let the paragraph break. Keep you from reading. Verse four blows my mind. <laughs> now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. <laughs> what in the world? Talk about a can't stop, won't stop attitude. <laughs> they just saw Stephen killed. They're all scattered running for their lives. And rather than saying, forget the Jesus movement, forget Jesus, they say, what should we do? We're gonna keep preaching. <laughs> Not preaching like, go down to the hardware store and let's buy us, let's make us some pulpits. No, they're going around just telling people about Jesus, sharing the gospel. Here's, I think, the big idea of this passage. What happened when Stephen was willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus? The gospel spread like wildfire. <laughs> and I believe Stephen, the reason he was willing to, to die is because he was he was happy to see the gospel spread because Jesus was everything to him. I believe he had a Philippians 1 attitude of, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I just want people to know about Jesus. <laughs> so to translate that to us, what happens when we are willing to suffer for Jesus? The gospel will spread like wildfire. <laughs> I think that's the truth of this passage. And if, if you think I'm, I'm pushing, let me prove to you I'm not pushing, I'm not stretching. Okay, verse four, they went about preaching. Up to this point, I don't know if you realize, the gospel, since Christ had risen back to heaven, had just been preached in Jerusalem. Now, you remember Acts 1a, so you'll be my witnesses, in Jerusalem and where? Judea and Samaria. Now, look with me. Go back to chapter eight, verse one. So remember, when they went scattered, they were preaching the word and... Let's see where they were scattered to. I think Dr. Luke, who wrote this, would want us to see this. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. <laughs> Y'all, the death of Stephen, his willingness to suffer, helped fulfill what Jesus had said would happen back in Acts 1.8. What the devil meant for evil to stop the gospel from spreading... <laughs> God just used for good because you can't outsmart God. <laughs> what happens when we're willing to suffer for Jesus? The gospel spreads. If I could say the big idea, maybe a little bit simpler, more simply, <laughs> simpler, more simply, people get life when we give life. That is so backwards from how the world views things. <laughs> 
so upside down. The world tells us, the world tells us to push and pull to get our own way, to do things our way, to, to make our voice the loudest. God says, whoever's first shall be last and the last shall be first. The greatest among you is actually the one who is servant among you. See, God takes the world's ideas and just flips them on their head. He says the way the gospel is going to spread, and this is, by the way, one of the things that makes Christianity unique, the way the gospel is going to spread is not by pushing and pulling our way through everybody and being a bunch of jerks. No, it's going to be by laying down our lives so people can see the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Now, I realize in the States, we may not have to face death like Stephen faced, but you still have an opportunity. Let me rephrase that. We still have an opportunity to lay down our lives. What could that look like? I don't know. The Holy Spirit is good at telling what that could look like, but maybe just some ideas. Maybe it's by laying down your pride, humbling yourself to go and talk with a friend or a coworker who you know you should share the gospel with. Maybe it's laying down your comfort of your own wants and needs and saying, God, I'm gonna invest in your kingdom and not just what I want. I'm gonna lay down my life in that way. Maybe it's laying down your life in that you don't fudge the numbers at work and therefore you're skipped over for that promotion, but ultimately someone sees the integrity that you have. You lay down what could have been, but ultimately someone gets to see the gospel. Maybe it's laying down um, your comfort and going and talking to that stranger and saying, hey, man, I would love, what's your name? Is there anything I could pray for you about? And maybe in laying down your pride and your comfort, maybe they get life because they get to be encouraged through your prayer. Or maybe they say, you know what? I would actually like to hear about the gospel. <laughs> I would like to hear about this Jesus. People get life when we give life, whatever that may be, words, time, resources. My uh, doctoral professor, Dr. Edwards, we were in India one time driving and looking at a lot of poverty and um, knowing a lot of those people are persecuted for their faith. And, and keep in mind, he's, he's Canadian. Now he now he's, has an American, his American citizenship, but I always say he's, in, he's a half American. But um, he's, he's sitting in the front seat and he said, Brandon, as Americans, because of the resources and the freedoms that we have, we think about all the opportunities God has given us, shame on us if we don't take those opportunities, if we don't make the most of them. He was saying that with all this power and privilege comes a lot of responsibility. You know, we live in the most free and prosperous country at perhaps one of the most peaceful times in the world. We can't just sit on that and do nothing. It's time for us to start being willing to lay down our pride, lay down our comfort to say, God, I want the gospel to go forward. Because again, when I put myself last, I put other people first, say yes to God and say no to myself like Stephen, people get to see the goodness of Jesus. People get life when we give life. And y'all, when we do that, we get to like line up in a great parade of people, of God followers who have gone before us who did the same thing. I think about Abraham, who Stephen mentioned, 
who left the comfort of his homeland to follow God. And because of that, because of his faith, him laying down his life, you could say, God used him to make a nation and to ultimately provide us a Messiah. I think about Moses who stood before Pharaoh, could have cost him his life, was certainly humiliating to keep going back before Pharaoh over and over and over again, going and doing that while his people weren't trusting him, while they were rejecting him. Moses kept going, kept laying down his life in that sense. And ultimately God used Moses to free the nation of Israel from Egypt. (laughs) People get life when we give life. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were not willing to bow before, uh, was it Nebuchadnezzar's idol? I think it was. (laughs) Sorry, a little brain lapse there. They weren't willing to bow. So they quite literally said, I'm gonna stand for God. They knew it would come with opposition and hardship, but yet they kept standing. Ultimately, they got thrown in the fiery furnace. But in that sense, in that case, God did rescue them. But listen to what happened. That's not just what the story is about. Do you remember what happened with the king? He said, There's a fourth in the fire. (laughs) There's another in the fire. And because of that, that king started changing his tune about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) When Daniel was in Babylon and they said, hey, you're gonna have to pray only to the king. If you pray to anybody else, we're gonna throw you in the den of lions. Daniel said, hey, that's cute. I'm gonna keep praying to my God because he's the one true God. Daniel was willing to lay down his life for God quite literally. So sure enough, they came and arrested him. They threw him in the den of lions and same thing. The king, after he saw what God did through Daniel, <laughs> the king said, there's something different about your God. There was a new level of respect and glory given to God because they saw the goodness, the king saw, and ultimately the country, saw the goodness of God when Daniel was willing to lay down his life. Because again, people get life when we give life. I think about Esther who went before her husband, the king, and could have had her head chopped off by going into the king's presence without being summoned. But yet, Though knowing it could cost her her life, she went there, stood before the king, and because she was willing to lay down her life, ultimately, the Jews were spared a massacre. People get life when you give life. Stephen, though he didn't get to see the outcome, he gave his life, and now the rest of the world heard the gospel. You could even argue that we are here today partially because Stephen was willing to lay down his life. People get life when you give life. But y'all, there's no greater example than Jesus. (laughs) See, the gospel is not just something to be an all in and respond to, it's also our call. See, the way you get salvation is to come to Jesus and lay down your life. Say, I'm a mess, I have nothing. I wanna give you my life, God. And in exchange, Jesus gives you his righteousness, his forgiveness, his life. So that's how we get life. But the way other people get life is the same way. For us to say, Jesus, you laid down your life so I could get life. So now I'm willing to lay down my life, whatever that may look like in 2019 in Lubbock, Texas, I'm gonna lay down my life so others can get life. (laughs) The gospel, the cross changes our lives, but it's also our model. People get life when we give life. So let's start 
giving. <laughs> this morning, we're going to have a time to respond and our folks are going to come out here and get us ready for that. But as we respond, I think there's probably two kinds of people this morning. Maybe the believer who the Holy Spirit's working on your life, like me, <laughs> and you're thinking of some ways that you need to begin to lay down your life so others can get life. Lay down your pride, selfishness, um, own wants and desires that other people can get life. So maybe you just need to ask God for clarity in that and for boldness to go and to do that this week. But others of you <clears throat> this morning don't know Jesus and you hear this story of Stephen and you're, you're like, how could anyone do that? How could someone die for their faith? The answer is not easy, but I, I believe it's simple. Stephen knew the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. <laughs> he knew the scandal of grace, right? That, that though he was a messed up sinful person, Jesus had come and loved him to the point of death on a cross to offer him forgiveness and hope and purpose and life everlasting with him. So Stephen was willing to say, hey, you can take my life. I, I get to be with Jesus. <laughs> it's okay. He's my everything. So I wanna this morning invite you to say, hey, I wanna turn to Christ. Maybe to heed the words of Stephen in his, in his sermon or in his speech and realize I need to quit rejecting God and just turn to Jesus, the redeemer, the deliverer, the savior of the world. And the cool thing is as stiff necked and hard hearted as we are, when we turn to Jesus, he's got wide open arms. He says, come on in here. <laughs> There's no stiff arming going on. He says, come on in. So this morning, after I, I pray and we respond, there'll be some pastors that would love to talk with you about what it means to, to trust Jesus. But again, if you're a believer this morning, my challenge to you is as we pray and sing, just say, Jesus, I, I wanna be like you. I wanna give my life so others can get life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.